Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I will down to Anfield and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you shawny man? You're more than welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast today. Oh, my David here in Dublin in cold, cold, cold Dublin. I'm joined via Skype by Ken Early in beautiful, warm, sunny Los Angeles. Ken, how are you? Hey, Owen, how you doing? Missing uh, you already, Owen. Oh, I'm sure you are. How was your weekend with Robbie Keane? Yeah, it's been it's been an amazing weekend um, for uh, for Robbie Keane, certainly. It's been quite an enjoyable weekend for me, too, even if I haven't really actually ventured uh, any distance from this. Um, I'm basically living in the American version of that hotel Alan Partridge lives in, um, <laughs> except there isn't, you know, it's 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 even slightly more basic arrangement than that. It's like a, it's kind of like a comfort inn or something along those lines, and it's just it's like a a block from the ground. Well, it's a it's a fifteen minute walk from the stadium, which in Los Angeles terms is, is possibly the longest walk anyone has undertaken in the city um, in in the last twenty years. You it's didn't not really, you, you didn't rent like, a car why, why for that one, no. Yeah, yeah, you didn't rent a car for that journey. No, um, no, I didn't. I didn't. So I, I, I decided to base myself near the place, which is lucky enough because you know I was looking at it. It's like oh, you know, I could maybe try and stay somewhere nice, but if I had done, um, it would have cost uh, an absolute fortune uh, getting around because this city is just so gigantic. Uh, you kind of look at it and you think, oh yeah, it's just you know city there. And then you you sort of realize you've underestimated all the distances, and actually the place that you thought was kind of just there adjacent is a twenty mile drive <laughs> and a you know hundred dollar taxi journey. So uh, luckily, I've, I've avoided all that. Alan. I have essentially just been walking around in this one of the most boring places in America, uh, between this uh, hotel and the uh, stadium. But you know, what a sensational story, Owen! Robbie Keane, the king of LA, the president uh, that America never had, or FK. Well, let's hear about it <laughs> in Ken Hurdy's report on sport. So yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even know where to start, Owen. I mean, what a uh, what a triumph! What a what a victory for Robbie Keane! What an incredible story! It's it's just unbelievable. Um, it didn't look as though it was going to go that way. I have to say, at half time and extra time, it looked as though things were going off the rails pretty badly for Robbie Keane at that point. Yeah, yeah. it really did. And uh, the, certainly, the, the commentary I was watching again is uh, BT Sport over here with the American commentators. They were fairly ripping into Robbie for 
most of the game, largely because <laughs> he was uh, showing some of the more selfish on-field traits we've come to we've come to know from Robbie. And then, of course, he bangs in a goal. It was almost as though he didn't care about America's sweetheart, Landon Donovan. It was almost as though he wanted to upstage America's princess and take all the glory for himself on the on the day of Landon Donovan's last ever game of professional football. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, that didn't surprise me in the slightest. <laughs> um, I'd seen him. Uh, I was able to talk to him on Saturday before the uh, the day before the game. Um, I saw him in the training uh, session. Now, he actually had done a press conference the day before because of his MVP award. So when I got there, uh, they were saying, oh, you know, he's done his press conference. You know, we're not going to put him up to do any more media. You know, sorry. Uh, I was kind of thinking, oh, this is a bit embarrassing. I've come all this way and I'm not even going to get to talk to Robbie Keane. But luckily enough, essentially just waited the training long enough. And I mean, I could see Robbie Keane there. He, he had his son along with him at the training. Uh, and him and him and his son, who's you know five, and this other uh, kid of about the same age, were just kicking a ball around. And I was thinking, this is quite relaxed for you know uh, the day before the national final. <laughs> this you know the training session essentially. Robbie Cage just kick, having a kick around with his with his son, uh, but he eventually um, he eventually agreed to to do a quick interview then. Um, so we were kind of, I was trying to talk to him about Ireland and, and you know, whether he kind of has a sense that people back home are following what he's doing. Um, but obviously, as soon as he had come over, then all these American reporters uh, immediately swarmed over and sort of stuck their microphone in. And then um, whenever there seemed to be a pause, they would stick in a question like, uh, you know, Robbie, what is your opinion on Landon Donovan? And, you know, his... Uh, his amazing storybook career and then the fact that, you know, this is, and, and every time Landon Donovan was mentioned, Robbie Keane just went, oh, yeah, we, you know, we're not thinking about it at all. Uh, you know, are you emotional? But no, not at all. I mean, we knew, you know, we knew last year he was going, so it's not like we just found out like two days ago. <laughs> so he didn't really seem as though he was quite joining in the, the general elegiac tone uh, about, about Donovan. But, you know, Robbie Keane, he's a, you know, he's a predatory being. You know, he's not like a, He's not like a sort of a, a doting mother. You know, he's not going to push Landon Donovan to the front and say, hey, Landon, why don't you take all the glory? That's just not how Robbie Keane's mind works. Uh, so in the game, um, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of pressure on Robbie Keane to score the goal that's going to justify his exalted status. It's going to justify his salary. You remember, him and Donovan are getting paid $4.5 million each. They're playing against guys who are getting $100,000. You know what I mean? Yep. So, so you're talking about nearly 50 times the salary, these guys. That's what they're earning. You're earning 50 times as much as the defender you're up against. You have to score. You know, so there's, so there's that pressure on them. In the second half, the game is 1-0. And it, the question has now become, are Robbie Keane or Landon Donovan going to get the goal that's going to justify, that's going to make this final a success for them? Because it, it's, it reminded me a bit of, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo in the Champions League final in extra time. You remember... Real Madrid are winning. Bale has scored the goal, but Ronaldo was still desperate to score. Bale, Ronaldo didn't even celebrate. I remember Ronaldo didn't celebrate the goals. He was just back in the center circle, going, "Yeah, yeah," kind of tapping his foot, saying, "Yeah, yeah, come on. You know, we've still got a few minutes left. I really need to get a goal here." And then you remember when he got the penalty, he, the, then he could finally start celebrating. It, it was a little bit like that. But you've got these two players who both need who both need the goal, and this big moment came when Robbie Keane was able to run through, not make the defender, was running through. Uh, Donovan is there to his left, screaming for the ball. Give me the ball! Robbie Keane, if he passes Landon Donovan the ball, it's going to be a side foot, 2-0, game over. America rejoices. 
is Robbie Keane interested in that? Now, Robbie Keane wants to score. Robbie Keane takes a shot, even though he's off balance. Goalkeeper saves it. Oh, it's still, still 1-0. Donovan is screaming at Keane. Keane's just ignoring him. But, you know, he, everybody knows what's just happened there. Uh, and, of course, moments later, uh, a combination of players who, between them, earn $170,000. Uh, these two American players, Mullins and Tierney, good, solid American names, uh, managed to get the equalizing goal. And suddenly the pressure is on big time. And you could see how tired Keane was. Because, you know, it's like... Um, at the start of the game, he's doing all his little darting movements, his stretches, you know, you know, sort of sprinting on the spot, you know, and sort of, you know, the, you know, the kind of stuff he likes to do at the start of the game. Lots of explosive darting movements. Okay, that's all finished. He's literally uh, dragging himself around, and it's it wasn't like a, a boiling hot day, but it was a little bit humid. It was like 20, 21 degrees, but kind of a little bit muggy, you know. Uh, Keane is kind of looking at this guy. Oh my God, we're going to have to play another half hour of this. You know, I haven't seen him run. <clears throat> I haven't really seen him break into a run for, for some time now. And he's, he's he, you know, the, it comes time for the, you know, the, the break before extra time. Keane is there. Glug, 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 Gatorade, rub, rub, physio. You know what I mean? Um, pouring water over his legs. Uh, like hitching up his shorts like Fabian Barthez. You know, that kind of like, oh, my legs. Um and you're thinking he's he's his energy's gone, you know. Is he gonna be able to is he gonna be able for extra time? You can see all the LA Galaxy players are like lying there, uh, lying on the ground in this sort of disorganized um, rabble. Whereas the New England Revolution have, have equalized. Everyone is on their feet. You know, they're in a they're in a huddle. They look like, you know, a, a bunch of US Marines or something like this. They're coming for the LA Galaxy, who are just lying there, obviously exhausted. And you're thinking at that point, there's only gonna be one winner in this game. Or at least that's what we're thinking. Because it turns out, according to Robbie Keane, anyway, after, or I, I, well, as, as, he, as he revealed after the game, at halftime and extra time, Omar Gonzalez, uh, the, uh, the LA Galaxy central defender, came to Robbie Keane and he's like, hey, you know, this is a, this is a tough game, huh? You know, what are we going to do? And Robbie Keane turned to Omar Gonzalez and said, <laughs> don't worry, Omar, I'll score. <laughs> he said, "This is what Robbie Keane reported. Reported his own conversation. Start celebrating, said, Omar. Start celebrating. Yeah, don't worry, Omar. This one's in the bag." <laughs> he said afterwards, "You know, that wasn't me being big-headed. That wasn't that wasn't a question of me. You know, saying, you know, don't worry, I'm definitely going to do it. I knew that I'd get a chance, and I knew that if I got the chance, I'd score." And you wonder what gives him this confidence because he's already missed a couple of chances. He's missed the two chances that he's had. I mean, he remembered it after the game. Uh, someone said to him, Bobby, how did you keep your composure when you'd missed, you know, you'd had such a horrible game? <laughs> and Keane was looking at him like, and, and he started off saying, well, you know, I've been playing the game for 15 years. You know, I know sometimes you miss chances, sometimes you score chances. And then he kind of was like, Look, I only missed one chance. It wasn't that bad. I mean, why are you trying to kill me now? I've just scored the winning goal and won the final. <laughs> so I was thinking, okay, actually, Robbie, you definitely missed at least two good chances. But that's one of the things about, about Robbie Keane. He's got that he's got that ability to to leave those mistakes behind. He's not gonna get bogged down and worrying about the he immediately forgets the chance he missed. As far as he can recall, he's basically scored ninety-five percent of the chances he's had in his career. Yeah. So he told Omar Gonzalez, I'm gonna score. And what happened in the end was Kane is there. Uh, the uh, the ball. The other guys who lose the ball. The revolution uh, clear their lines and start pushing up the field. And Robbie Kane 
is loitering. Well, he's kind of, actually, it looks like he's uh, uh, desperately trying to keep up with the defenders as they move up the field, you know, to, to stay on side. Uh, but he manages to do that. And he's also waiting and waiting and waiting. And eventually one of the guys in midfield sees him make a little turn, plays the ball over the top. Suddenly he's through one-on-one because the left back is, is playing three yards behind everybody else and plays him on side. He's through one-on-one. Luckily for him, the pass is good. He doesn't even have to take a touch to control the pass, which is lucky because if he had had to take a touch, <laughs> he was so exhausted. I doubt he would have been able to control it. But he's able to finish it. It was a brilliant finish. And... You know, that's the moment. Everybody knows right there, that's the game over. Robbie Keane has, the MVP has won the game for the LA Galaxy fifth uh, cup and all this kind of stuff. Everyone's going mad. They're all chanting Keane, you know, MVP, MVP is another thing they chant. He wins man of the match and everything. Oh, it was was incredible. I mean, personally, a personal triumph, a strictly personal triumph. Ah, yeah, it was nice for Landon Donovan to win the trophy in his last game as well. But, you know. A sideshow, a sideshow side landing, really. It was all about Robbie Keane. One of the things you were uh, looking forward to, Ken, was, well, it's a privilege that is not really granted to journalists in this country or in, in many countries, but it, it is in the US, and that's locker room access. Privilege, Owen, is one way to put it. Um, it's, <laughs> it's an American tradition. Everybody goes into the locker room uh, to talk to the athletes. I'm not, I'm not sure why. I really don't understand why. I mean, we have a little bit of audio of, what the uh, triumphant, uh, title-winning LA Galaxy locker room sounds like. And that's what it sounds like, yeah. That's pretty much, I guess, what you would probably expect it to sound like. What it looked like was, uh, you know, a fairly, fairly small dressing room. Everyone's got quite a large locker, a floor-to-ceiling uh, locker. Rectangular dressing room. All the press are kind of huddled at one end of it. It's not like the press are just, you know, uh, you know, just hanging out or like sticking a microphone into the showers or, or sitting on, you know, sitting around on benches with the players. Actually, there were no benches in this in this locker room. They, they seem to have another a separate locker room that the press aren't allowed into. Uh, what there was was beer all over the floor. Like they brought in, um, they brought in, you know, crates of Bud Light and some of this uh, champagne. Uh, and rather than drink it, the players appeared to just open the Bud Light and just pour it on the ground. So if you can imagine this hot, humid, stinking room and it's stinking of of beer you know like a country uh, nightclub where the carpet hasn't been washed for 20 years it's got 20 years of accumulated uh, accumulated beer in the sticky carpet that was the smell in there except it was a lot hotter than that uh, so I was thinking to myself you know what mix zone actually isn't that, that bad an <laughs> idea I mean it's basically the same as this except you know everyone's dressed and uh, we, we get to sort of talk in, in a in a less humid, uh, less steamy environment. Uh, it's actually, you know, it's not, it's not as though really, I didn't feel as though actually being in the locker room made a big difference to uh, the kind of stuff that you get out of the players. Although you did get, you do get to see the players sort of horsing around naked, uh, shouting at each other, uh, asking each other, you know, how come you keep getting, how come you keep finding beers? And, you know, because this ain't my first time at the ranch. Uh, these, this is the kind of American uh, banter, which I suppose I wouldn't have I wouldn't have uh, got to see otherwise. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, but eventually, Robbie, I mean, Robbie Keane was obviously in demand. He did a press conference, uh, did a press conference after the game. He, did, he had to do a press conference with Bruce Arena, the Allegheny coach, who was drunk, by the way. Bruce Arena, you, you, probably, you probably know this guy. I mean, he, he was the United States manager at the 2002 World Cup. Um, he's been the Galaxy manager for a long time. That was his third title with them. Uh, Bruce Arena comes into the press conference beaming, 
<clears throat> clutching a bottle of champagne and, you know, glug, glug, glugs it down, puts it down the table. He's like, are we sponsored by this champagne company? Uh, and then he's like, oh, I better turn it around. You know, turns it around so he can't see the label. But Bruce, you're looking at him, you're like, this guy's three sheets to the wind now. You know. <laughs> and well deserved. Yet another uh, MLS title in the bag for Bruce Arena. Oh, Bruce Arena. Well, he's a, he's a managerial legend. You know, so he he was there. He 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 um, tipsily paid tribute to uh, Phil Anschutz, the real hero, the billionaire owner of of the of the uh, the Galaxy. Of course, um, is this Robbie Keane's team? Well, it's Phil Anschutz's team, to be fair. But Robbie's a pretty big piece. Then Robbie Keane arrived in, uh, and Bruce said, "Ah, oh, Robbie, we're going." We're going to get a translator in here because Robbie doesn't speak English. And sort of, uh, <laughs> you're thinking, Bruce, put the champagne away. Like, uh, Robbie Cade sits there and Bruce then starts paying tribute to him, saying, uh, what, what does he say? He says, he's a, speci- he's a special leader. He's a great player, a real friend and a great teammate. And you're like, Robbie, Robbie Keane is sitting there with a sort of his face set in, in this stony expression. You know, it's not like he's he's going to grin awkwardly while this praise this pianist praise is being read he's got he's got this very he's kind of narrowed his eyes a little bit and sort of pursed his lips and he's kind of like you know like an easter island head sort of impassive stony face uh you know he's not gonna let anyone think that this praise means anything to him because for robbie Keane, it's all about the team uh he then you know gives a little uh gives his own views on the game which you know you've seen plenty of robbie Keane press conferences so you, you can imagine um so Bruce is then Bruce then sort of tips that he keeps interjecting. He's like, "This guy, this guy should be playing manager of this team," and uh, and and uh, it turns out that Robbie has actually or had uh, suggested the tactical change that they made at halftime. Essentially, they got they got this fast guy Gardas. He was the guy who scored the first. Uh, First Galzardas, I should say, rather. He's like kind of a fast striker who plays up front with Robbie Keane. And Donovan, Landon Donovan on the left. Robbie suggested, why not move our fast forward out to the left where he can run and put Landon in behind so maybe he can actually pass me the ball. Um, this was the suggestion. Uh, and that's what and that's what they did. Bruce Reed said, you know, great idea, Robbie. I encourage my players to, to make these tactical innovations. So it's kind of interesting just to see how much respect everybody has for Robbie Keane. His persona in America is completely different from what we, from the player that we think of him as being. We've got a lot of respect for him over here as well. Yeah, people have a lot of respect for him, but it's a different kind of respect. In America, he's like John Terry and like Falcao rolled into one player. That's the, he's literally reinvented himself as this, as this sort of, um, uh, you know, a, a leader of men. Now I know he's been the Ireland captain for a long time, but I suppose people always think of Robbie as this, as like a you know skillful sort of dodgy. Pick, uh, when I say I don't mean dodgy, I mean an artful <laughs> dodgy. Is not what I meant to say. I mean a kind of artful dodger, pick uh, pick your pocket type of type of player. You know what I mean? Not like this. He here he's literally he's the general. You know he's like the the starship trooper commando. Everybody is looking to him. Uh, not just to provide a, a piece of match-winning skill, but also to be the leader of the team, you know, to sort of beat his chest, captain, leader, legend. That's Robbie Keane. That's that's how he's managed to reinvent himself. It's an amazing thing uh, that he's done over here uh, when you see that when you see that kind of respect that everybody has for him. Did you get a chance uh, to talk to him in the end? Eventually got to talk to him. He was, he was, he'd, he'd been through all these press conferences, had to do all the TV stuff and everything. Um, uh, so, but eventually... He was willing to have a 
very quick word just before he headed off, uh, headed off with his son and his wife to do whatever it was they're going to do. So yeah, this is this is the the locker room after it had quietened down a little bit. It's an amazing ending to the season. I mean, what were you thinking going through on goal? Yeah, I was, I was fairly confident. I knew I'd get a chance, um, and I was quite quite confident that I was going to score. So wasn't really t- thinking too much. Just delighted to get in. You know, there's a lot of space in. There's a lot of space on that side throughout the whole game. I was waiting for one of the lads to keep kept doing it. That's why I was playing over that side. The left centre half kept playing deeper than than the other one. So I was uh, I was conscious staying there most of the game, and but a lot of the lads didn't see me. Uh, I kept kept asking for it, but you know, thankfully Marcelo see me, and it was a you know, great ball from him, and I put it away. And just relief, really. Just lucky. Just delighted that was over. It was, it was a scrappy game, uh, very humid and. Hot and pitch wasn't great. And Physical struggle for you? For everyone, for everyone. We didn't play well. We looked a bit, a bit nervous, every, a lot of the players, even them as well. They were nervous as well. Um, <laughs> it was a typical final, really. You're never going to get an absolutely amazing, amazing final, but it doesn't really matter. The most important thing is just win the game. Bruce Arena inside saying that you should be the player manager of this team. It seems like you're taking a real sort of leadership role on the, on the field out there. Right, just my experience, really. Been, been playing the game for a long time, so um, you know when I say something, I'm making sense because I've been there and I've done that. Uh, player manager, still a long way to go, yeah. Uh, but one day will be. A moment like that, though. I mean, you you know, I, I saw that you were able to celebrate. I saw your son and your your wife were on the field almost immediately with you. What does it mean to to be able to have a moment like that with them and and with the sports? You know, for me, it's it's the Shirley's moment when you know with the families is. I get more of a buzz out of that than, than anything else. To, to have my son there, you know, who loves who loves football, and um, I want him to be a part of, of, of what I do. That's why I bring him into training as much as I can, and I let him enjoy and appreciate what you know what a great job that that I have, and and how appreciated I am of it. And I want to get him involved in and, and show him what it's like, and for him to be around it and, and, and to see us lift the cup. That's that's yeah, three now since he's been here. So, what's the plan tonight? How do you celebrate something like this? Yeah, we we have we have a few things planned. We'll obviously have a party, uh, and that's it. Just just delighted to over now. Tired. Looking forward to a nice break. Going back home to Ireland and spending Christmas with the family. Congratulations. Cheers, man. Thanks. A couple of noticeable things uh, in that, Ken. One of them, um, maybe this isn't too surprising, but when you asked him what he was thinking going through on goal, not much. It sounds like Robbie Keane is best when he's not thinking too much about what he's going to do, which is probably the same for a lot of strikers. And also, um, that pride he has in his son watching him play football is probably something I'm sure all uh, professional footballers who have kids at that sort of age would have. But he seems really keen on really keen on the idea of his son getting immersed in the whole thing and getting involved uh, in and seeing up close what football is all about. That ties in with what you were saying earlier on about the fact that he brought him to training the day before and had a kick around with him. Yeah, I mean, he, and he, you know, he he's. Uh, you can see, you know, he's really him and him and the uh, young Robert or Robbie. Uh, I'm not quite sure uh, what name he goes by, but they're obviously really close. At the end of the match, uh, there was this I thought hilarious scene uh, where the final whistle went. Robbie Keane, he's standing in the centre circle, raises his arms, doesn't move, raises his arms, kind of raises his his face to the heavens, just stands there waiting for everybody else to come to him right <laughs> meanwhile Landon Donovan is standing 15 meters away doing exactly the same thing 
right? <laughs> Neither of them are acknowledging <laughs> the other. Half the team run to Robbie Keane and half the run to Jonathan, right? So, so there's two separate centres of celebration. Um, then what happens is uh, you can see running onto the field immediately then, this little kid in the number seven shirt, I can see it recognised this floppy-haired kid as the as Robbie Keane's son, who I saw the previous uh, the the previous day, he immediately runs over to the huddle. Joint. So Robbie picks him up, sort of lifts him up, and then it's basically it's just him and 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 his and his son. He doesn't bother going over to the land and on and huddle. He doesn't bother with that at all. Then Robbie Keane's wife comes out, and so they're kind of standing there talking for a bit. Meanwhile, Landon Donovan and the, and the teammates are sort of uh, heading down towards the um, uh, the LA the Angel City Brigade, the sort of ultras behind the goal. They're heading down there to sort of celebrate with the fans. Robbie Keane, no interest in that whatsoever. Uh, then he has to do a TV interview, you know, the on-field TV interview, um, where he's he's there. Yeah, well, we didn't play that well, but we're champions again. No, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because we're champions again. The whole place, yeah, you know, and uh, chanting MVP, MVP again. Uh, and it was only several minutes after full time that Robbie Keane eventually came face to face on the field with Landon Donovan. Uh, so, so they sort of said, oh, how are you doing? At this point, Robbie was heading back over to the fans because he realized, oh, I ha actually haven't acknowledged them at any point so far. <laughs> so he, he went over and sort of by himself was standing in front of the fans. Yeah, you know, a bit like John Delaney in Estonia, you know, um, they're, they're cheering him. Meanwhile, Landon Donovan's doing his TV interview, which features the hilariously hostile question. It just didn't really happen between you and Robbie Keane. Uh, you know, this is like in the stadium, you know, everyone is looking at this. Uh, you know, when you've got two such big stars, uh, both with 50-plus goals for their national team, you know, it's obviously hard. I, I just thought, wow, that's, that's a pretty harsh question. In, considering they've just won the match, yeah. uh, Donovan was like, well, you know, uh, he's a great player. He's, he can make special plays. And the more players you have, you can make special plays, the more chance you have of winning it game like that anyway thanks very much and this interview is concluded <laughs> so it was uh but yeah i mean it didn't it doesn't seem as though robbie keenan and on were like definitely like texting each other all the time or you know uh, maybe on gchat to each other you know when when they go home i don't think that's the situation yeah but, well your um, conclusion is watching that and seeing yeah seeing the power the glory being ceded to robbie by landon and thinking, yeah, I was right not to bring that guy to the World Cup. I was, well, he just he just isn't wanted enough. But we have to we have to move on. We do have to talk about the fact that Chelsea, in non Robbie Keane related news, have been beaten while you're away again by Newcastle yeah. at the weekend. Yeah, poor old, poor old Chelsea and Alan Pardew. Um, <laughs> what a touchline um, presence that man is! I love him. You you love Alan Pardew? Oh, I just too. find him. I just find him riveting. Uh, no matter what's going on in the game, good, good. Well, indifferent probably doesn't elicit much reaction, but if it's something very good or something very bad, Alan Pardew is worth watching on the sideline. What, I, what struck me about this, though, you know, uh, you'll have heard, I'm sure, that Jose Mourinho was um, bemoaning the, the ball boys and their failure to load the bullets for Chelsea quickly enough. You know, the, at, at times they're giving Newcastle the ball really quickly and then they're slowing it up for Chelsea. It's a kind of, it's a kind of complaint. In fact, he's made it to the faces of the ball boys before, if I remember correctly, in one game. But yeah. the way this came up is quite funny. Um, it might have been said to the journalist as well, but it was said immediately afterwards, BT Sport were doing this game, and I think it was Ray Stubbs who was interviewing Mourinho, and he said, so any complaints? And Mourinho says, no, no complaints. Well, you know, there was obviously just that, that, that one complaint, just the ball boys, you know, but I, I don't want to say anything more about that. And um, Stubbs says, the ball boys, could, could you elaborate? And Mourinho immediately, <laughs> immediately says, what? You didn't see it? 
You didn't see, and I, I, he seemed genuinely annoyed that BT Sport hadn't done their job well enough to notice that there were that, that there was all this these shenanigans going on. And Ray Stubbs is totally stunned. He had nothing to come back with. No, I didn't notice that. Tell us more about it. Yeah, well, I mean, Jose Mourinho um, is the guy who's. I mean, he's had more uh, interaction with ball boys than any manager I can remember previously. I mean, it was his player who stood on one. <laughs> oh, no, hang on. I can't remember if no, Mourinho kicked... was actually the manager. Yeah, yeah. No, was uh, not managing. Kicked the ball from underneath the ball boy at, at Swansea. Obviously, that, that ball boy was more of a, of a ball man, um, really. But uh, I can't remember if Mourinho was actually the manager. It was either last season or the season before. Yeah, it's hard to but, remember. But, I mean, Mourinho, Mourinho was the guy who... who I mean, his, his famous... The, the, the famous match last season, the, the Chelsea... The Liverpool-Chelsea match. Mourinho, in the, a couple, inside a couple of minutes of that match, is, there's a famous photograph of him refusing to give the ball back to Steven Gerrard. You know, he's like... He knows Liverpool want to try and play a high-tempo game. I mean, Suarez wrote about it in his book. You know, uh, I said to one of their players... What are you doing? Why are you time wasting from the very first minute? And then the Chelsea player said to Suarez, "Well, look, what he wants me to play. You know, you want me to disobey his instructions? He'll just drop me if I do that." So yeah, this is what we're doing. Um, I mean, Mourinho is the master of that. I wouldn't say he invented it, but he certainly perfected it. So he should take it as a compliment that the Newcastle that his methods are filtering down as far as the ball boys at Newcastle United. They're all little Jose Mourinho's there, and it's annoying, I suppose, to be on the end of it, but. Obviously, Jose Mourinho understands exactly where they're coming from, and if if they were his ball boys, he'd uh, he'd probably give them a bonus. That's the end of Ken Early's report on sport. Stop it! That's one of those things. Stop it! How many players can do this? Death man can never die. Thirty-four years old. It's one of those things. Death man can never die. Only the actors who play him. Second chance. No, he did. No, he did. Do you think Robbie Keane just said, you know what? Any questions about me being the MVP of this league? I think he just said right there. Oh yeah. He got more of a tandem able. Yeah, that's our uh, final <laughs> tribute to final slightly crazy tri- was that, sorry, tribute was to Robbie Keane. Uh, yeah, it was indeed. Yeah, was there was there a wolf out in there as well? I don't know. I think I'm, I'm sure there was. It was a package put together on this show. Anyway, we've got to move on. Sid Lowe is waiting to talk. Sid about well, there are a couple of hat tricks by the two main men there in the Liga. But I wanted to ask you just about the uh, some comments attributed to Arsene Wenger. He was talking about in, a, in the Guardian about I presume he's being asked. Uh, about Luis Suarez and he says it's not easy in a team when you have such a dominant figure as Messi the game naturally goes through the strongest point so in Barcelona the game goes through Messi it means other players become more peripheral you could see now uh, when you see Barcelona Suarez was dominant at Liverpool but sometimes now you think where is he now this is uh, the fear I guess of, of Luis Suarez fans if people are connected purely to footballers now as well as his football teams how he'd adapt within the this power structure uh, in the Barcelona team but is Wenger right to, is he correct in his um in his concerns here in his comments? I think he's, he's certainly correct to ask the question. I think there's been some elements of that. Um, I also think there's a stylistic difference. I think if you look back at the games last season with Liverpool in which the opposition were defensive and closed off space, then Suarez had, obviously, uh, by definition, greater difficulties finding a way through. Um, and, and that naturally is the kind of defence that Barcelona come up against. Um, Liverpool tended to release Suarez a lot earlier than Barcelona do. Um, and so that's that's one significant difference. Curiously, though, until 
until this weekend when, when actually Suarez didn't play particularly brilliantly. Although he hasn't been scoring goals, the, the overall um, and, and really quite overwhelming response from the Catalan media has been very positive because there's been a sense that, that he gives them something they didn't have, that he's actually been playing very well. It's just that the goals haven't been coming. This weekend, I think, was the first time where people have looked at the performance and thought, uh, OK, he wasn't that great. Just, um, I mean, one of the things that you you could say is that at Liverpool he uh, could almost he, he was almost a freelance attacker. He could mm-hmm. do what he what he wanted. Yeah. I know sometimes Brendan Rodgers said, "Okay, you're going to start in the right," but really everybody knew Luis Suarez could do what came into his head, do what came naturally on the field. Is his role at Barcelona a little bit more restricted tactically? Are they saying to him, "Look, you know, we, we're going to need you to stay in a particular area of the field. We're going to need you to serve the team in a particular way. It's not a case of just going out there and trying to bend the game to your will, however uh, you see fit." Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, and Suarez himself talked about the fact that Rogers knew that he he wasn't a static striker; that he had to have mobility. But that Rogers also knew there had to be a, a certain degree of leaving that to Suarez's own intuition and, and to him to move to those positions he wanted to be and to start outside and come inside, or start inside and then peel outside to pick the ball up. And, and obviously, some of that movement is constrained at Barcelona, not just because he's got two other men in the forward line with him instead of just one with, with um, Sturridge, but also because he's got two men. Uh, and in particular in the case of Messi, who are very, very well established um, with Messi and Neymar. The other thing that I think that that makes it more difficult is that actually Suarez's position has changed a little bit, um, even in the, what is it now, six, seven games that he's been playing in the first team. In part, it seems, because of Messi's will. So Messi has has started the season behind the front two, and it felt, and this is one thing I must admit I'm quite baffled by. At the start of the season, Messi was playing behind the front two, and the other one, obviously, the two in front of him were Neymar and one other, which tends to be Pedro or Munir normally. And Messi seemed to be lining up that number 10 role, which we're all watching and thinking, well, this is perfect. Suarez slots into the other into the other forward position. Suarez, Neymar, Messi behind. Messi has that number 10 role as a creator, and everybody's happy. When Messi came back, the first game against, against Real Madrid, Suarez was out on the right wing. So that idea of the number 10 behind the two just completely vanished, just at the time when it seemed to be set up for Suarez to come in and slot in. Then Suarez has played on the right-hand side. A few times Suarez played through the middle with Messi on the right-hand side. And neither of those two formations seem to entirely convince the two men. Now, it's worked um, largely until this weekend. I think it's worked in terms of the performances, in terms of um, the way that Suarez has integrated the, the involvement he's had in other people's play. But the goals haven't yet come. Uh, and I think you can see a, a, an increase in frustration. What I wonder about also is... Um, uh, with these clubs, these super clubs in Spain being so political, um, I mean, we saw how the signing of Neymar effectively destroyed the previous president. I mean, when it was, when it sort of came to light, all the little strings that he pulled uh, to get Neymar to to come to Barcelona. Uh, Suarez also was a really big transfer, but the political situation in Barcelona seems kind of uncertain at the moment, unstable. I mean, uh, oftentimes for, for a big signing to work out at a club, it's not enough for for them to deliver on the field, but they also bizarrely need sort of political backing from on high. So how do you think uh, that situation is, is looking from Suarez's point of view? Can, will the people who, who brought him to Barcelona still be there this time next year? 
Uh, I think there's a, in theory at least, the current the current board will continue until 2016 when there'll be elections, and I'd be absolutely amazed if they won them. Now, there's a possibility of those elections then being forced to bring those elections forward. They will resist, and I think the likelihood is that they, they will be able to resist as well. But there is a chance that there's elections in the summer, and they wouldn't win them. The favourite to, to come back in would be Joanne Laporta. Um, now, I think that then you then ask the question is, if there is a new regime, what do they think of Suarez? But also, what do they think of Suarez within the constraints of real politics? And real politics are you've got this player who, who you know is very good, who costs a certain amount of money, he's earning a certain amount, amount of money as well. Could you even move him on if you wanted to? Because who can pay for him? Um, so I'm not convinced that Suarez's position is necessarily under threat. Um, but certainly, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't help any player if those people who bought him in uh, move on depending, of course, on what the attitude of the incoming uh, board is. Sid, just lastly, uh, hat-tricks for Ronaldo and Messi. Which one did you prefer? Which of the two hat-tricks did I prefer? Yeah. Uh, Messi's. Yeah, had to be. Listen, Sid Lowe, great to talk to you. Thanks a million. My pleasure. Shane Curran with the kick-out. The 42-year-old goalkeeper. Curran it out from goal. Here he comes. He topped it. He fought it. He's 50 yards out from goal. What a day for us coming. All the mother niggas lame and you know it now. When the real nigga hold you down, you're supposed to drown. Down. 1944 is the last time a senior tiger come out of here. And the whoa, 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 be the last one. Down. What a day for us coming. Leave a pretty girl sad reputation. Start a fight club, Brad reputation. I asked the question, did anybody deserve to lose a dollar in club fighting? Give me a tech, tech, tech if you know the answer. It'll be heartbreak on either side. Imagine being eight up. Imagine coming from eight down. Shane Curran has been lifted by an umpire. The sub-goalie. Two castle barmen. And a bridges mate. I can't see Curran continuing. It could be his last race out of goal. What a day for us coming. I think Ken, uh, Arsene Wenger, I always like when he answers questions about everything. And that's what everyone says. Anyone who deals in the, in the media context with Arsene Wenger in the UK says he's just absolutely amazing because he will talk about Luis Suarez if you ask him about that he'll talk about whoever you want him to talk about so it's fair enough but uh, I suppose people would say that Wenger has his own stuff that he he needs to get an order at the moment anyway rather than worrying too much about Suarez and not, not a good weekend for Wenger no, no, and I mean 3-2 against Stoke isn't as bad as 4-0 which it looked like it, it was for one point until that strangely disallowed goal uh, and then they get back to 3-2 which almost sounds like a respectable result even though it's a really poor one again and um, then there's this video uh, which I've seen uh, being circulated of Wenger getting on the train at Stoke and Arsenal fans abusing him uh, shouting at Joel Campbell get out get out Joel while well, you can and then Wenger comes by and they meet they start really aggressively boo boo you know almost into his face you know completely appalling uh, behavior, like appalling way to, for them to treat Arsene Wenger. It's, it's, it's one of those weird situations where you can absolutely, you can sort of understand why there's a lot of angry fans. Arsene Wenger's getting paid a lot of money, has been failing in the same way for a long time. That's going to annoy football supporters. I just hate to see people behave that way to his to his face. I mean, to boo in the stadium is one thing. To actually, to, to sort of aggressively um, and obnoxiously behave that way towards him almost in a face-to-face situation is really, it's an awful thing to see that. You know, I don't want to sound too kind of pious here, but like, it's just, it's just, I don't think it's a way to behave. You know, I think it's, I think it's, uh, so you can, you can sort of understand where they're coming from, but there's no excuse for, 
for that type of of uh, behaviour. That's pretty much us done now. Uh, do have a listen to the first show we put out today. Podrick Harrington among the guests on that one. Harrington won his first tournament in four years and he was in really good form. Oh, Ken, I should just mention you very briefly before, before we go. One of the, the keys to Harrington's uh, return to form, Steve Peters. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He's had Steve Peters for, I think he was saying about six months now, uses him. Uh, reasonably regularly. Now he was saying that he uh, Harrington was saying that he himself, he as in Harrington, knows so much about sports psychology now <laughs> over the years that he's really looking for a sounding board and somebody just just you know who's there to um, to reinforce certain ideas. But no, he says he's found him very good. I just thought I'd bring that in because the first I'd heard of Steve Peters was when Stephen Gerrard brought him up about a year or so ago. Didn't end too well oh, yeah. with Gerrard last season, but uh, ultimately, yeah. I mean, uh, it was the England uh, World Cup team. <coughs> Ronnie O'Sullivan, a big Steve Peters man. Oh well, he just won at the weekend as well, so it was a good weekend for Steve Peters. Yeah, yeah, great, great weekend. It wasn't, wasn't he? British Cycling as well, didn't they? Didn't they use mm-hmm. him a lot? So uh, yeah, he's got a got a pretty impressive client list. You know, I mean, I tried reading his book, Owen, but uh, wasn't doing it for you. It was a bit like Roy Keane. I mean, Roy Keane said about his book. Um, I tried reading it. He said the chimp. Essentially, the idea is, you know, you got to try and control the chimp because the chimp is in there as running the show. Yeah. Um, and Keen was asked, have I, you, had you, have you read this I tried reading book? it, but my chimp wouldn't let me. <laughs> Ken, we'll leave it there yeah. and have a safe flight home. Thanks, Alan. See you soon. Thanks for listening. Take care. What one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 